0: Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We are your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, we're going to be telling you guys part two
1: about the infamous serial killer, H.H. Holmes.
0: I'm going to preface like I do sometimes and say that we are not recording this in the morning before I say what I am drinking. Because I have made myself (laughs) an old-fashioned in honor of our old story. And no, it is not morning, so don't judge me. Okay, I am drinking
1: some coffee it's Folgers hazelnut coffee and it's delicious
0: otherwise known as hazel butt if you ask Abby yes and that is an accurate assumption nope accurate description I think I'll go with we'll go with that word um so go ahead and pour yourself an old-fashioned and let's dive on in We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more crime over coffee content by signing up for a patreon you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content to check out this opportunity and sign up for the crime over coffee patreon visit www.patreon.com crime coffee pod Thank you again for all of your support.
1: So if you didn't listen to part one, go back and listen to that. It's going to be very helpful with what's happening here in part two. But we just finished with the murder castle being built. And now we're getting into a point in time where HH is really starting to do a lot of the things that he's known for, I guess. He starts out with not being faithful to his second wife, Murda. And he starts having an affair with a woman named Julia Connor, who was the wife of Alex Connor. And at some point in time, Alex and his wife had moved into the HH murder castle building and was working as a bookkeeper at the pharmacy jewelry counter. So Alex ends up finding out about the affair that Julia is having with HH and obviously gets upset, quits his job, Moves away, which when he does, he leaves his wife Julia and their daughter Pearl behind. Julia and Pearl continue to stay at the hotel, the murder castle, and continues on her relationship with HH. From my understanding, HH is still at this point in time married to Murda. Around Christmas of 1891, so not too long after Alex ended up leaving Julia and Pearl behind. Julia and Pearl end up disappearing. And it's not known exactly what happened to them. HH claims that Julia died during an abortion, but that was never confirmed. I also want to say this is not the first older, like late 1800s, early 1900s case that we've done where that is the claim about what happened to a missing woman.
0: Probably because it was pretty commonplace back then. Um, so maybe it was an easy out, but that definitely doesn't explain what happened to Pearl. Correct.
1: I, and I don't know that he ever offered an explanation. I think the unfortunate thing, which we kind of talked about in part one, I think the unfortunate thing that we're seeing is just that time period. It wasn't easy to keep track of all this stuff. So now, you know, a hundred and whatever years later, looking back on it, we can piece all this together and we be like, that was suspicious and that was suspicious. And this is probably what happened. But at the time, they're seeing this as like a one-off instance. Mm -hmm. And they're not able to connect H.H. to all these different things, especially because, as we learned, H.H. changed his name. So now he's got this whole other identity from what he initially had. And so it is really hard to try to connect the pieces unless you're looking back on everything. So in 1892 is officially when that third floor gets added to the building. And I described the third floor in part one. And he is telling the people that are helping build this, the investors, the suppliers, that he plans on using it as additional hotel space for the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition, which was going to be taking place in 1893. Abby shaking her head. There's a good chance she knows what this exposition was. I do not because I, I did not because I was, I don't know much about history. I'm going to be honest. I'm really bad at history and geography. So I did look it up. So this exposition was actually held as a celebration of the 400th year since Christopher Columbus had arrived in America. So this event was scheduled from May to October, and it attracted thousands of people from all over the world. And so H.H. was interested in opening it up so that he could have lots of people stay there. He could make lots of money. So that's initially what it started out as. However... Suppliers pretty quickly learned that Henry was just hiding their materials in that area and he hadn't paid for any of them. They started searching his building and searching for all of their missing stuff and it actually makes the news. And so investors who had been a part of helping pay for and support this part of the hotel ended up pulling out of the deal. And so that third floor of the hotel was never officially completed. The next interesting disappearance that occurs around HH is in May of 1892, when a girl named Emmeline Segrande starts working at the building. And by December of 1892, she disappears. Nobody ever heard from her, saw her again, knows what happened to her. I don't know what HH's story was on her. I didn't see that, but she disappears. Then Edna Van Tassel, who's another girl from the area, vanishes around the same time. Both of these disappearances are believed to be connected directly to HH. So at some point in time during all of this, the timeline's a little messy, H.H. meets this man named Benjamin Pitzel. And he. this is when he's looking for carpenters. Benjamin was a known criminal for a lot of petty crimes at the time. He was an alcoholic. So Benjamin was married and he, had, and he did have three kids. And he and H.H. became really close friends. And the two of them ended up working on a lot of crime-related schemes together, which Abby's going to focus a lot more on in her section of this. So if you guys want to hear more about all of that that will come later. In early 1893, an actress named Minnie Williams moves to Chicago and HH offers her a job at a hotel as his personal secretary. She, at the time, owned some property in Fort Worth, Texas, and somehow HH convinces her to sign this property over to him, which then later got transferred to Benjamin, his friend. In May of 1893, H.H and Minnie end up presenting themselves as man and wife and they rent an apartment together in Chicago's Lincoln Park. I don't exactly know who's living there, if it's both of them, if H is just still living in his castle or if they're both living together in this park. Either way, Minnie's sister Nanny ends up coming to visit in July. And she ends up writing a letter to her aunt saying that she's going to accompany, quote unquote, brother Harry to Europe. I don't know if it was referring somehow to Henry.
0: Or what? I feel like that's such an issue with these older cases. It's really trying to decipher what they're talking about, what information's relevant. It's just kind of all thrown in there and pieced together. But it is a little troublesome trying to kind of connect those dots. It really is. And
1: once again, maybe she was referring to him. No idea. Maybe they did have a brother named Harry. But I feel like the way that it's presented in a lot of the articles is kind of a suspicious way to say that they didn't have a brother. Either way, neither Minnie nor Nanny were seen alive after July 5th, 1893. So whether or not they actually went on this adventure to Europe isn't officially known. It's believed that they were victims of, of HH's murder castle. Like I had said, in 1893, the world's Colombian exposition is taking place
0: also known as like the world's fair if you guys have ever heard of that yes he
1: actually has he starts advertising his hotel his castle as the world's fair hotel because it's what he he's kind of wanting to point out and want people to come stay there like the world's fair is happening this is the hotel to stay at for it and it's only a few miles away from the fairgrounds that's occurring it's only a few miles away from the fairgrounds where this exposition's occurring. And so he ends up kind of catching the interest of a lot of people to come stay with him by the newspaper ads. But he also ends up going with Benjamin and his children to the fair. And he starts saying to people in person, like, hey, come stay at my hotel. Hey, come stay at my hotel. So he's getting a lot more people to stay there. He's also he's a doctor who's dressed really nice. And so, you know, when somebody presents himself as a doctor, there usually is some level of respect there. And so a lot of wealthy women, he was, you know, going up to them and saying, hey, if you come stay here, you can have a great night's rest. It's the best hotel in the area. And they were from out of town. They weren't super noticed in this area. So they would go and they would stay there and then they would never be seen
0: again. Something interesting that I I am picking up on, obviously his victims ranged, but, you know, earlier in his life, it was like little boys would be. Turning up missing, but it seems once he's kind of established himself in Chicago, it sounds like a lot of women are who's going. It is
1: very focused. Yeah, very focused on women. At the end of the fair, there is a list of missing people that are reported, and there are no fewer than 50 people who went missing during this fair that were able to be traced to going to the murder castle. And that's the last place they were known to go.
0: That is a substantial
1: number. That is a very high number of people that were reported to be there. And not to judge, but if this goes on for months where he's just bringing people there and they're finding out that that's the last place they went and nothing's being done.
0: Yeah, it's kind of bonkers. I wonder if part of that's because a lot of them are coming in from out of town so that they just assume they're fine and they're at the fair. and They're not really knowing that they're missing until it's done and they're not Coming back home. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it may have been
1: at the end because, like I said, the, f- the fair ran from May to October. So maybe it wasn't until October that we had a better idea mm-hmm. of how many people actually went missing. On August 13th, 1893, the third floor of the murder castle caught fire. Only a few people were in the building at the time, and everybody was able to get out. Henry had also taken out insurance policies on the building with four different companies. And so all of the companies sue immediately. And I don't know if it's illegal to have it through multiple companies and maybe that's why they were suing or if they were just suing because they really thought that HH had started the fires and it was on purpose. So at this point, Henry does what he typically does and he flees in July. The next place he's known to be is in Fort Worth, Texas, where he's looking to build on the property that Minnie Williams had transferred to him a while back that same month He is arrested and he is briefly incarcerated for the first time after being charged of selling mortgage goods in St. Louis, Missouri.
0: All right, everyone, I'm going to go ahead and kind of take over the story now. As you know, where we left off, H.H. Holmes had been arrested for the first time. Um, I am going to backtrack just a tiny bit and give some information uh, as it relates to Benjamin Peitzel and Benjamin Peitzel was a friend, accomplice, a number of things to H.H. Holmes. He had actually moved to Chicago with his family in the fall of 1889. He moved there with his wife, Carrie, and his five kids, Desi, Alice, Nellie, Howard, and Wharton. Peitzel kind of he struggled throughout life. He he was really devoted to his family, but he really had a hard time working. He did odd and end labor jobs. However, a lot of times those wouldn't turn out well or they'd be short-lived. And so this was no different when he ended up moving to Chicago and he's looking for more odd and end jobs. And he comes across a ad in a newspaper that was placed in search of carpenters. And this actually was placed by h.h holmes so this is how benjamin peitzel is introduced to h.h holmes and he i guess also had a pretty big um alcoholic addiction issue as well but irregardless he was really trying to provide for his family and when he gets in contact with holmes and they kind of hit it off unfortunately this turns for a worse when they start getting involved in additional petty crimes, um, stealing money, all the kind of things that we saw in Holmes' past that Erica brought us up to speed on before. But the two become really close, and Holmes actually gets pretty close with Paitzel's family as well. And he even hangs out with them. When the World's Fair is going on, he would actually take some of the Paitzel children over there, and they were kind of part of his ruse to um, advertised for his place to stay is Murder Castle, as we know it, and inviting people over. Now, this starts to kind of lead up to this point where Holmes is actually arrested in St. Louis, as, as Erica mentioned earlier. There was a lot of things and circumstances that led to Holmes leaving Chicago, and part of the reason was because he had committed so much insurance fraud and all these other little crimes that he was afraid he was going to get caught. And he actually ends up leaving Chicago with Peitzel. Now they end up going to Fort Worth. And the reason this was was because there was um, a woman that Holmes was with named Minnie Williams who had had a house there that was valued at $40,000. And she had mysteriously died and her sister ended up signing the rights over to Holmes, which Erica kind of mentioned her, but this was part of the reason that they ended up in that area. And then they kind of, you know, dip out again. They really were known for traveling all around the country, committing crimes, which we know is evident in Holmes's past, but we see this with Pitzel as well as the duo kind of get together. And this leads us to when he was picked up for the first time officially in St. Louis for The charge of selling mortgaged goods. While Holmes is incarcerated for this crime, he has a cellmate named Marion Hedgepath. And Marion and Holmes come up with this plan. And essentially, Holmes is going to take out a life insurance policy for $10,000, fake his own death. And then Hedgepath, his role in this was he actually knew like a crooked lawyer that he was going to give the name to um, Holmes so Holmes could use him to claim that insurance benefit and in exchange Holmes was gonna pay $500 to Marion Hedgepeth after all this happened. Now this will come up a little bit later but I just wanted to throw that out there so you guys have that in mind. Now at some point Holmes is released on bail. His new wife at the time Georgiana Yoke had paid for his release and it seems that she didn't really know exactly who Holmes was and all the the bad things he had done up to this point. As Erica mentioned and we've talked about, he was a pretty charming dude and he was very good at manipulating people. After all this, Holmes is kind of reunited with Peitzel, Benjamin Peitzel, and they come up with kind of this similar plan. So essentially what they decide is instead, Benjamin is going to fake his own death and they're going to bring Carrie benjamin's wife in on the plan so she knows what's happening and they're going to make her the beneficiary and they're all going to split the money now what would happen ideally is holmes is going to find a cadaver or a body from um, one of the different medical fields or you know how we were talking about how we would sell to them but he was going to find one and badly mutilated enough that you could potentially identify it as Benjamin Peitzel. And then Carrie would collect the money and Benjamin would be in hiding for a while until he could come up with a come back out of hiding. So how this whole plan is gonna work is Benjamin's actually going to present himself as this inventor under a different name, BF Perry. And then he was gonna die in this lab explosion and be disfigured. And they were going to, like I said, have his wife, quote unquote, which was his real life, real life wife, but also in the scheme as well, collect the money. Now they, in Philadelphia, rent this building and Peitzel does disguise himself as this, as this B.F. Perry. And at some point what happens is somebody shows up to do business and he finds Peitzel's body who he thinks is Perry. Now, this all happens. The guy shows up to their place. It's 1316 Callahill Street. And he sees a body and he's like, oh, crap, and alerts authorities. So in theory, what had happened was it was a cadaver and Benjamin's in hiding. But what turns out is that Holmes actually kind of double crossed Peitzel and actually did end up murdering him.
1: Well, that is unfortunate for Benjamin. Maybe a reason not to get involved with murderers and people who are scam artists because, like, I don't know. I I feel like in these situations, they just, there's not really a loyalty and nobody ends up safe in
0: these situations because anybody can turn at any point in time. Yeah, and, you know, to Benjamin's benefit, I don't know how much he actually knew about Holmes and what all he had done at this point but it is really unfortunate for him that it turned out this way. I mean, I'm sure it made it look really realistic that it was Benjamin's body then. <laughs> right. Well, what Holmes had done... Now, remember, he's still got to convince Carrie that Benjamin's fine. So the plan still kind of goes on. So what he had done was essentially killed him with a large amount of chloroform and then set his body on fire and disfigured his face. And so when the insurance company and police and detectives have they want somebody to identify this body they want it to be a member of the family at this point in time carrie and most of her kids were pretty sick they weren't even really able to get up and leave and so what holmes did was he said he was a close member of the family and then they brought in desi who was the oldest and they went and identified the body So what he does is he takes the 15-year-old Alice, Benjamin, Carrie's kid Alice, to go with him to identify the body. While Desi, the oldest of the kids, stays to take care of the other ones in Carrie who are ill. And I'm not sure why they were sick, but they were. um, It could have been something nefarious. And again, remember, Carrie's thinking that Benjamin's fine and he's hiding. So... You know, Alice goes along and they go to identify the body as Benjamin, and they do. And I've seen some conflicting information on this, on whether Alice knew or not that it was actually Benjamin. But either way, at this time period, identifying bodies is a little difficult. It's a little odd. Um, They haven't really gotten the technology yet to identify in the ways that obviously we do today. But I was watching this documentary about this case, and essentially they use this thing called the Bertillion method. And I apologize if I didn't pronounce that right, but they identify bodies by looking at measurements. So the measurement of their left foot, or the length of their arm, or their torso. And fingerprinting isn't something used widely until 1903. So they're kind of using this method plus Alice and Holmes saying, yeah, this is Benjamin to identify the body. And then they rule it as an accidental death. Now, Holmes actually ends up putting Alice in a hotel And goes back to Carrie and is like, hey, you know, collect the insurance payout and, you know, kind of give me it, essentially. And there's a lot more manipulation with that. But Carrie does end up giving much of the payout to Holmes, even though Holmes did not bring Alice back home. And what he's saying is like, Alice is with Benjamin, they're fine, you guys get better, we'll bring them back later once time, enough time has passed. And... Somehow, some way, it ends up getting manipulated further so that the two other middle kids end up leaving with Holmes as well. And so Carrie is left with Bessie, her oldest, and the youngest, who is essentially an infant at this time. And the other three kids go with Holmes. During this, Holmes is giving all kinds of misleading stories to Carrie, and he's traveling around. Um, the Midwest, basically, with the kids and running additional schemes. And now he has this insurance payout. And Carrie is constantly calling, like, or not calling, but writing letters. Whereas Benjamin, he's like, oh, Benjamin's fine. He's in London. The kids are great. You know, you guys will all be reunited shortly. All the while really, like, playing into this manipulation and narcissistic behavior. At this point, it seems like Holmes is really getting away with everything. He's got the kids. He's got the money. He's evaded capture. And to his credit, he's he is doing okay with avoiding cops. However, there is one little thing that he didn't do that would end up leading to his ultimate capture. And that was that he never fulfilled his debt to Marion Hedgepath, his cellmate. He never sent him that $500. Now... I'm going to leave this episode here and next week join in and we will talk about his capture, his confession, and a lot more information regarding some of his crimes. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepot at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.